Hey everyone and welcome to a new episode of the Convergence podcast. I'm your host Siddhartha Valuri and this is going to be episode 30. This week I have Mikhail Kuz who is one of the most prolific concept artists in the world with clients such as EA Games, Disney, Marvel, IO Interactive just to name a few. We spoke about his origins in the industry and the different challenges he has faced along the way. Mikhail also gave really deep insights about his design process and how he has gone about developing the unique aesthetic that we associate with his work. We also spoke about Focal Point School which he is the co-founder for along with Derek Zabrotsky where he shared the inner workings of a school like that and what goes behind the scenes when they are developing the course material for a school such as theirs. This was a really fun conversation packed with a lot of knowledge and valuable informations from one of the best in the business so I hope you stick around till the end of the conversation and gain a lot of value from it so let's go Once again thank you so much Mikhail for taking out the time Of course like I told you you had given this workshop back in FZD when I was studying there and it's great that through this podcast I'm able to kind of talk to you at a more deeper level and uncover more about your story so it's a great great opportunity i guess it's uh yeah first of all thanks for having me over once again on air so everyone hears it as well um very flattering uh so so much has changed i think as well in your life right since yeah. uh, that that workshop at fcd that i did so you also work now at uh, your uh, You're a concept artist yourself now, right? You yep. work at uh, Rockstar Games, That's right? That's right. That's right. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah, very nice. Yeah, and it's uh it's I I think that you, what you're doing is a nice initiative, you know, talking to people, talk to people in our branch. I think especially during the COVID crisis, this is something that uh people need, you know. Mm-hmm. Really. Yeah, I mean, and artists are like lo- and oh yeah, sorry. No, no, go go ahead. Yeah, I think and artists uh, by default are kind of like, you know, tend to be the lonely lone wolf souls, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh it's it's really nice that you're doing this, really. Yeah, it's been great. I mean, just personally as well getting to talk to people whose work I've been seeing for a long time. It's great to yeah. kind of understand their thought process at a deeper level because when you're just looking at someone's work, there's only so much that you can understand. It's only the artistic or technical side but then the thought process and the emotion behind why somebody does something it can be uncovered only yeah. when you talk to somebody so yeah that's a great thing definitely yeah definitely uh, humans are you know uh, kind of like wolf pack creatures you know we mm-hmm. work better with each other when we communicate definitely so yeah so how so, how long have you been actually working professionally for because As far as I can remember when I started getting into concept art seriously I remember seeing your work but I don't know when you actually started working. <laughs> uh I've been for me it was like uh um up and up and down ride mm-hmm. you know. It has been uh like I officially officially started uh full time in 2011 August of 2011. I remember mm-hmm. that was the milestone in my life. I got my uh, full time um the, by by the way can you hear that church with the bells Yeah is yeah there is a slight bell but that's okay I mean it should I can okay. close the window hold on hold on I'll close it. Sorry for that no, That's okay <laughs> So yeah back to the story 2011 August I got my first concept art uh job full time uh in uh, the Netherlands okay. in Utrecht which is one of the 
one of the bigger cities in uh, in Holland. Um, and really, I got there by sheer luck. Um, well, not sure. It was like a mixture of, of course, skill because the client liked me back then. It was a mixture of luck as well. And um, yeah, I stayed there for two and a half years. I learned a lot there. Uh, the original plan was to go to school mm-hmm. to uh, HKU, which is the Hoge, uh, Hoge, hold on, uh, Hoge Kunst Academie in Utrecht, HKU, if I'm not mistaken, which is basically an overall fine art school. Uh, in Utrecht. Um, I applied, I got rejected. um, And then um, when the client, uh, because I was already freelancing around, when the client got to know that I'm not going to school anymore, they just said, uh, yeah, just come work for us then, you know? Wow, that's interesting. And uh, yeah, that that was an interesting, uh, um, you know, twist um, in my my storyline. So uh, that is how it went. And like I said, spent there two and a half years um, working uh, on a project called uh, March of War. I think it is still playable on Steam. A horrible game, uh, I'm honest. Um, mm-hmm. But my time there with the people was uh, amazing. Um, I made good friends. Uh, even the boss was a very nice dude that helped me out in, uh, in a lot of ways. I had a lot of freedom to, to design the whole world mm-hmm. of that game. So uh, the the units and the characters and environments and some key shots. And um, yeah, that was just uh, that, that kind of skill and experience gave me the ability to kind of like see design as a, as a whole. And um, my goal since then has been like, like, yeah, it's, it's nice to be versatile because I, I get like, even though I like designing machinery, Mm -hmm. if I would, only design tanks and hardware i would get um i would get bored i think um so i switch around uh here and there and that's basically what i've been uh, doing ever since um i mean yeah do you want me to continue or no do no questions I, I have quite a few questions <laughs> which are like kind of yeah. branching into different directions firstly i mean it's almost coming to 10 years i guess at this point in just a couple of months since you've been working yeah how have you perceived the industry shifting in this decade? Because a lot has happened in the past 10 years in terms of the way technology has changed the kind of work that's done and even the speed of working and stuff like that. How, how do you perceive that change? Perceive, yeah, there's definitely a lot of change going on. Yes. Like, uh, for example, the access to knowledge has become uh, much easier, but I guess it is access to the knowledge of how tools work. Mm-hmm. Because access to knowledge, how design philosophy should go and how you should think about design in order to stand out as a concept designer. Um, no, that is very hard to teach. There is, you cannot go to Gumroad and buy a couple of tutorials mm-hmm. for five bucks and think that those, these tutorials will teach you the whole sphere of design but they can teach you how to use tools. They can teach you, you know, some, some, some tips, some pointers, some, some knowledge um, uh, aspects of, you know, for drawing techniques. Then when it comes to tools, um, you know, the accessibility, for example, right now uh, with, with Blender is just amazing. Mm-hmm. It's just too hard to ignore. You cannot ignore tools like that anymore. It makes your work more accurate. You're faster and 
it, it allows you then to focus again more on design, right? And um, the that's the that's the biggest change, you know. I've seen I've seen a lot of people doing amazing, beautiful images. Really, it is now very easy to make beautiful, flashy images. Um, and I, you see it everywhere. Let's be honest, right? Yeah. But that image needs to convey, you know, a, a design direction. You know, it needs to be. In the end, we are concept artists, and concept artists are being paid, in my opinion, primarily for the for the idea and the design. Um, the pretty image aspect comes second because that's just presentation. Right. Yeah. So. Um, so how? How? And yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just wanted to go a bit deeper into that. Like, how have you, let's say, kept your own design originality fresh over the years? Because, like you said, the quality of output just keeps getting better each year. But personally, how have you tackled finding better sources of inspiration or better resources to study from to improve that design philosophy, design thinking? Um, yeah, very good question. So I think, f- first of all, it's... Um, um, if now, if I would be starting right now as a concept artist, I would be more confused than when I started uh, ten years ago. Right? That's interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, it's it, because now you get these these. Uh, I think that co- the the branch concept design is now being also uh, capitalized on by a lot of uh, platforms. You know, tutorials here, marketplace here, buy this, buy that, learn to do this, learn to do that. And a young mind that just gets into the the sphere of concept design can um, can get uh, you know overwhelmed with all these uh, with all these things uh, being you know flushed at the at the shore of your mind and then you don't know what to grasp first. Um, I think it is very important to really focus on the fundamentals. That's what it comes down to. Uh, the fancier tools like what I wish for is for example a tool that will you know you just almost shape with your hands shapes and it just appears you know Mm -hmm. in a space like I think virtual reality comes to that yeah and I think that uh, with that should come you know a very easy interface that is so logic to any creative human mind that that should be it right um but coming back to the overwhelming part, um, I think there is right now uh, um, a misconceptualization, I guess, with uh, that being a good designer means knowing a lot of tools. Mm-hmm. And I think knowing a lot of tools is definitely very good, but don't put it first and don't forget that in the end, uh, design is the most important thing. No client came to me and said, Hey, do you know uh, Octane, Maya, and Blender and Modo? Because if you don't know these softwares, I'm sorry, we can't give you that job. <laughs> no, clients come to you because of the ideas, right? right. They like your ideas. And um, how I've been working, I still do most of my stuff. My my, my thinking, my my design process is still uh, in in two D. And right now I do switch over to, uh, to 3D to make things more accurate, more readable, um, more rich, more believable, speeds up the process when you're rendering, for example, as well. So, uh, so yeah, it is that, I guess that's how it uh, evolves. And I think that it is very important that, um, 
yeah, for any people that are listening that's starting out, um, don't neglect the fundamentals, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And simple message, I guess. Um, so was hardware design something that attracted you right from the beginning when you were just getting into the industry or was that something you found over time and kind of grew into that? I think that it was all, uh, always uh, a, a part of me, so to speak, you know, like, uh, it's like, I guess it's part of being a boy, you know, like boys are tend to be more interested in things. I, I used to fix, because uh, uh, my, my, my father was a very uh, stubborn man, he still is, and he always refused to buy a new car if it started to break down. Okay. So uh, he, he, was, he was also good with mechanics. He, he's, an, he's an engineer. So he would always keep on repairing the car no matter what. Mm -hmm. And I would help him out often. Um, and that got me interested even more in hardware. You know, he would take the wheel off of the car and you would see the, the, the sprockets, the... the the, um, the, the, the brake system, the suspension, you know, and it was these mechanics moving and how they are built. Uh, that was just interesting to me um, from the start, from, from back when I was a kid, yeah. Um, and then I think the fact that I grew up near um, a military naval base oh, okay. also had a, yeah, that also had a huge impact on me because every year they would have these shows where they would show off their uh, equipment. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as a kid, I was like exposed to like some tanks and, and Apache attack helicopters, you know, and scout vehicles. And um, yeah, again, don't get me wrong. I, I'm not like a fan of violence or war, but I, I, I was always fascinated with that brutal engineering and that, um, and that, the humankind can come up with 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 this you know mm -hmm. um yeah that that I, that just always fascinated me you know how engines work what type of engines are there um but i was never i guess fascinated to a way to also become an engineer i was like fascinated with it in an entertaining way right right i i also like when a tank looks cool you know and then it's very hard, of course, to define what to look school because that is basically what we set up in our culture. But you know what I mean yeah, when yeah. I say a cool looking tank, right? So um, yeah, that that's how it um, that's that's how it started, I guess, briefly speaking. It's the, the special love for hardware. Yeah, it's interesting how like the surroundings where you grow up in can play such a big impact in what your design language kind of evolves to become, and. I, yeah, I guess it shows definitely. in the authenticity also, like wh when you're talking about that cool factor within a design, I think the I'm, what I'm really curious about is how are you able to kind of break the form and evolve the form within a silhouette of a tank or within the silhouette of a plane, so to speak, because each design has a core silhouette that looks, let's say, real world type. But then within that, you're able to create these different changes so how do you think about that design as you're pr producing it? Definitely, you have, uh, you have very good questions. <laughs> I can tell you have experience, that's nice. Yeah, that is a very good example of like what you said. You can have, for example, um, let, let's go to a simple example again of a car, right? Mm -hmm. A car is basically always that same kind of shape, right? Yeah. Same form factor, so to speak. For wheels, it has like um, 
a cabin in the middle. It has a front for the engine. It has uh, it has basically like a an ass for the for the trunk, right? Right. Um, windshield in the front, uh, four doors. I said that. Um, but you can design that um, in different aesthetical ways, right? Um, so what we just explained here, you know, four wheels, that is the function. Like that is how a car needs to look like to take you from point A to B, right? Uh, but with design also, uh, you have the, uh, the, the technical level of the society or civilization that built that car, mm -hmm. uh, the, the aesthetical aspects of that civilization. So what is aesthetically important and pleasing to them to make that car beautiful for the audience, right? So when you notice um, the car didn't only change over time aesthetically, right? So we have a car from the 1920s and a car from the 1990s. Mm -hmm. The form factor didn't actually change that much, right? Still four wheels, doors, windshield, right? But how they, cha how they changed is uh, aesthetically over time, um, the shapes got more streamlined and uh, the, the headlights, for example, became integrated in the whole mm -hmm. shape. That is how the design evolved while the function stayed the same. So the phrase shape follows function is not entirely accurate, right? Because designing is such a creative process that you have to look at many different aspects only than function, right? Because you have aesthetics, you have, you have time, over time it evolves. Mm -hmm. And culture as well, right? Because again, if you look uh, at, a, at a Mercedes, which is a European car from the 1980s and a Ford Mustang from the 1980s, they, have, they are from the same timeline, same form factor again, but because it's two different cultures, they're aesthetically um, put together in a different way, right? That's quite true. Yeah, that so, the uh, way you describe that just got me thinking that if you look at Blue Origin and SpaceX, they are both developing rocket technology right now, but then their spaceships look completely different, even though it's in the same country itself. So that's quite interesting. Yeah, exactly. And and now with um, um, with modern technology, when you know you we see the rise of huge corporations, we will definitely have we will definitely experience you know a design language per corporation. You know. Mm. I think that is uh, I think that is what the universe of cyberpunk got really correct, you know. Yeah, that's that's a good observation. Uh, that's a very good observation. Yeah. So I mean, just looking at it from a professional like let's say a client project, so to speak, does the client give you that kind of specifications where they describe the culture to you and give you certain references to go off, or is it more of a descriptive thing where they write down what they expect? And then you have the freedom to figure out what that culture could look like and how that reflects in the vehicle designs that you do. Well, th that varies a lot, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, it varies really per client. And from my experience, um, every client has different um, priorities. F first of all, when it comes to vehicle design, when it comes to client work, professional work, um, Maybe last year uh, it has been more, but like all the previous years, 70% um, of all my client work only has been uh, environment concept art and scenery. Oh, okay. um, um, 
which with some of these aspects also apply to when you design environments and architectural stuff. But when it comes to vehicles, because uh, you asked about it specifically, um, in the end, I'm always the one to ask the client as much information as I can mm -hmm. to give them um, a design that they demand, right? Um, usually I get a brief and most of the time I have to follow it up with questions, right? Like, okay. um, for example, to what kind of technology does this civilization has access to so that I know how to design the vehicle in the most rich and believable way, right? Um, so that is, yeah, I'm, I'm very immersive, sometimes very nitpicky, um, but I like it. I, I need to immerse myself in order to execute the design in to my best abilities. And I really always pretend that that thing could be real, you know, mm -hmm. no matter how crazy the shapes are, because I, I know that sometimes I'm like, you know, doodling and I come up with crazy ass shapes, um, but in the end, I always try to involve the most amount of immersion I can, right? So how the panelings are going, how are the panels, how should the panels connect in the most logic way so that the vehicle in air or mid-flight doesn't fall apart, right? Uh, so, yeah. yeah. And that, of course, takes reference from the real world, which is another topic. So, yeah, it, it, it all, as you can see, it like all intertwines. That's you know? true. That's true. Uh, yeah, I'm actually surprised to hear that a majority of your client work was only environment work because I know you did some stuff for Hitman, I believe, which you had released a while back. But yeah, looking at your portfolio, I mean, one would assume that majority of your work is mostly hardware or hard surface design. So how did you go about getting those kind of projects as well, where it's more environment design and paintings and stuff like that? Well, the thing is, I, I like doing it too. Like, I really like um, exploring lighting and I really like uh, coming up with fast compositions within an environment. Okay. Um, so, but yeah, like in the end, if I have to pick, I, like you said, I really enjoy doing hardware design more. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and how I do uh, get along with it, you asked, right? I, I don't know. It's just, um, I... Uh, I get offers and uh, some of them go go through, some of them don't go through. And uh, if I like a project, I just take it, I guess. And then if we both agree on the terms and everything, then I eagerly start with my work. Awesome. Um, okay. And again, it's um, it 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 varies, right? But like I said, last year has been more vehicle design than, than ever. Like I had a lot of uh, assignments making spaceships, mechs, um, a whole hardware buildings, structures, like sci-fi defense towers, whatnot. Um, yeah, I'm afraid I cannot say more. No, no, that's but, perfectly uh, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I like I said, I, I enjoy uh, the whole sphere of uh, design, even though I know that I won't be able to always um, like embrace it with full quality because there are so many good concept artists out there that like only specialize in vehicles, only specialize in environments. But somehow I always keep on fighting to uh, to work on both, I guess. Mm -hmm. I kind of dropped characters because that will be too much. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole completely As, different world. Yeah, 
Yeah, but the design principles of character design would definitely be the same as when you're designing a vehicle or a piece of architecture. So that is the beauty about design, that there is a unified um, philosophy about it, you know? So, um, so yeah. like looking at the body of work that you've produced, there is a certain common element of that spherical or dome-like shape that appears in your work in a lot of the ships and hardware design that you have done. How did that design language evolve over time? Was that something inspired from your childhood like you were mentioning earlier or did you pick it up from nature or how was that like? The dome like, could, could you like give an example, please? <clears throat> um, okay, I can, yeah. I can say Like, will, will, will the audience see like an example? No, no, it's just, you... it's an audio podcast only, but. Oh, it's an audio podcast. Okay, yeah, yeah. okay, okay. I can send you a link. Um, yeah, so at, so at least I know a point of reference. Otherwise, uh, I don't know how to answer it. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Yeah. <clears throat> it's, uh, it's, it's usually how I go about um, references. Like I said, I try to always uh, immerse myself. Mm -hmm. and, um, and at the same time, I'm, um, of course really focusing on reference sometimes i really don't like taking reference because it, it looks like it takes away from a creative time yeah. going through pictures but i really digest it in an uh, accurate way and sometimes i do it um, even for the most simplest sketches right oh yeah this one yeah so this is the 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 hind uh, alternate hind yeah um so for this one i am fascinated with um um, well, like I said, with hardware, but I'm also, well, big surprise. I'm also fascinated with uh, the Soviet design language, right? I see. To me, it is, uh, to me, it is fascinating that, uh, that a society like that, you know, a communist society that were this, that was, you know, um, really into having everything government controlled. Um, they, they had such a nice um, and distinguished uh, military like a like an army military technology mm -hmm. and design language and while their civilian equipment like cars for example they were utter crap you know <laughs> because there's there is no capitalism there is no competition so right. the, the cars will just fall apart but their military equipment because it had to compete with uh the allies the americans that was really uh stellar you know mm -hmm. and uh, yeah basically this is uh this is a straightforward design. It's very um, based on the Hind 24 or Mi 24 uh, transport slash attack helicopter. And um, this was done in class to show students how you can take um, an existing design language, stay grounded, don't come up with fancy new shapes, just take the design language as is and start um, start altering it basically you know mm -hmm. so it, it is not like your typical helicopter it doesn't have the rotors it has you know um vertical takeoff engines and it has like um a, a tail in the bag that kind of moves you cannot see it in the sketch but um uh, i i had like so we, we did like a lot of side view explorations as well how the silhouette would go and um, and that was all teaching the students how to work with one specific design language on one specific technological level and still be able to make a lot of uh, iterations. I see. Uh, I know, does that answer the question? 
Um, I think it answers a part of the question where you're, let's say, changing 10 to 15% of the original design language and finding yeah. new shapes within that. But I guess the larger question above that would be what particular things within these form languages attracts you towards that? Like, why is it that this style oh, yeah. attracts you more as compared to more like a stealth style design, which is far more sleeker and sharper almost? Uh, yeah, good question. Um, that is, I think it is because uh, I realized that we there is a lot of these uh, sharp, edgy sci-fi designs out there anyway. Mm-hmm. So I always try to, uh, once I see that something starts to repeat um, in our industry, then I like taking, like, especially when I design for myself, because this is personal work, then I like taking risks um, and still look at what the real world has to offer. And I'm, I'm not digging too deep because I like to play with familiar elements. Mm-hmm. And from there, really... Um, uh, play with the shapes and what attracts me is not because they're uh, u- unique and you know they're uncommon uh, maybe in the concept art but what the attracts me is just that uh, yeah what you said uh, earlier the dome-like shape form which I perceive as you know a, a nice design flow like the overall shape is a nice flow like a almost like a bubbly but still streamlined form right and then being able to within those huge rounded shape um intelligently and coherently kind of (laughs) intelligently as if i'm intelligent but like (laughs) uh, in logical way distribute the details so it will make sense even though of course you know again i'm not an engineer but it has to appear that it could be real you know so i'm thinking I'm thinking about all the detail. Yes, I'm not thinking that every detail should be functional, but every detail should fit right into the right place so that the things around a certain detail still have, you know, will it have a little bit breathing space here? Will it have less breathing space there? Um, how big will the line be? How big, sh- how, in what shape should the panel uh, be cut so that the whole design language will not be disturbed? And that is a continuous attraction to me to always keep on tackling these things. Mm. And um, yeah, the recent stuff is like you said, dome-like, and that is really something that, uh, I don't know, it, it attracts me. Like I, I like basically also, for example, the design of a fish, you know? Mm-hmm. Like I take a mackerel and it's just, you can basically, based on that design language alone, you can make amazing spaceships, I'm telling you. Oh, that's like, a, yeah, that's an interesting observation. Yeah, so. Yeah, thanks for that insight. I mean, these are the kind of like insights that you won't know just by looking at the artwork. So it's great to hear these things. There was something that you had mentioned early on when you got rejected from the art school and you joined that studio where you were designing a whole bunch of things in the art world. And sorry to go back to this topic, but something just came up in my mind. How did you prepare yourself at that point? Because if part of your mind was ready to go to a school to study some more and learn art, but the other half of your mind was getting thrown into this professional setup. How did you tackle that at that time? Because I kind of related to new concept artists today where, like you already mentioned, there's like so much information to tackle and deal with. So would love to hear your thoughts about that. 
So how did I prepare myself before I got the job? Yeah, or exactly. how did I pref- or how did I prepare myself in the moment that I learned that I will not go to school, but I'm going to to work instead? Exactly, like, because I mean, yeah, you need to prepare for either side of the things, right? Yeah, I think, um, man, I was uh, I was pretty young back then. I was uh, like 23, 24. Mm-hmm. So um, when, when you're telling me right now, I'm trying to recall, did I do like harsh preparations? Not really, man. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, I was, well, the only thing that I had going is that I really, really wanted to become a concept artist. So I worked really, really hard to become one. And meanwhile, along the, along the way, you know, because every path is different, right? Like, like you said, people, people ask me, and I'm always very humble, it's flattering that people ask me, how did you become a concept artist? What was your path? But believe me, everyone's path will be different, you know? Right. Like to me, it was, you know, I adjusted myself um, to the environment, you know? It's like Bruce Lee, you know, you have to become the water to adjust yourself right. into the cup that you're going to 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 be in, you know. Um, so, uh, well, I was lucky enough that I was born and raised in Holland. So that's, you know, a civilized country. I never struggled with hunger or war. So um, my parents took care of me. They loved me. They supported me. So, uh, you know, they were not rich or anything, but I always had food in the house, you know, all the kind. So. Uh, the things that I normally would take for granted, you realize it later on. And that, of course, makes the path easier to become, to, to work for what you want to become, right? right. And um, um, I didn't prepare myself. I was always, from 16 years of age, I just, well, it was like a long time preparation, if you're asking. So I prepared myself to do my best in order to become a concept artist. And whatever is thrown on the way i things that i don't like i dodge it things that i like i go for it and things that i say my like but i have to do i adjust to it right um yeah so when i end up not going to school and i was mentally ready for it then i adjusted myself basically to okay well this is it i'm i'm starting my career a little bit earlier but this is good you know like uh Obviously, the client must like my work at least a little bit because mm-hmm. they're offering me a full-time job, you know. It wasn't huge money back then, but again, it was a full-time job. I was able to rent an apartment on my own in a big city, and that was nice. That was cool, you know. I felt that that, that milestone, there was something I dreamed of for years, you know. Um, so that is how I uh, tackled most of my life, you know. Um, adjusting yourself because I also lived in the Philippines and that was a totally different world than Western Europe, you know? Oh, so again, wow. you have to adjust yourself. Uh, I lived in the UK, which is uh, a slightly different culture, slightly different people, but I loved it there. Nice time there. Uh, gained again, a lot of experience there with the studios that I worked there, uh, people that I got to know. And yeah, I guess when you're asking, then now that I'm thinking of it, life is if you want to make your life successful, then keep on adjusting, you know, because there is no hard path and you cannot be a tank basically crushing through everything um, because that's, I think that that's not what life is, you know, life will throw different challenges at you. Some you can handle, some you'll have to really adjust to it. Uh, some of them you will be able to dodge, I guess. Mm. So, yeah. That's interesting. I guess just 
to the same topic were there any particular client projects where you felt like your skills weren't up to the level and you had to kind of dig deeper and try to resolve something much harder than you were used to um yes yeah i like challenging projects yeah and um both on freelance and uh, in-house i've experienced it now my last in-house job was when i was working on uh, hitman like you said mm -hmm. and uh, that that was my uh and that is a good example that that project was a good example of totally readjusting myself right i was really surprised that they wanted to hire someone that makes spaceships that explores with fast sketches how form should look like and of course i had the beautiful rendered images there too but i didn't have like environment realistic work like hitman requires right however i had an amazing art director and I, I asked them like after a while when I was hired and I was like already, you know, um, uh, you know, warmed up. I asked like, like, hey, man, why did you actually hire me? There obviously, you know, there are other people that have like really the honed down environmental skills to like do the real hitman work. And he basically said like, well, he was honest, like, yeah, we obviously also contacted them. But um, why I really also wanted you is that um, when I see that people can tackle a lot of things at the same time, then they understand how design goes, they understand fundamentals. And he said, I had no doubt that you'll be able to uh, adjust to a project like this, you know? And uh, well, that not only was a big compliment, um, I felt very flattered again, but it also was a huge confirmation that yes, you have to have built a strong, uh, ice layer of the fundamentals, you know, the higher, the, the thicker the crust of your fundamental gets, the shorter your distance will be to specialize in something, right? Because you have this theory that, okay, you know, in order to become a concept artist, you know, you want to become, uh, for this kind of studio, they make these uh, super nice uh, uh, concept arts for this like next gen game, super nice environments. All right don't draw don't waste your time go for that route you know just uh just fucking you know photo bash to fake the lighting you have all the tools blender everything okay now we have a different assignment uh we have to now uh design a helicopter you know it's like you, yeah. you cannot go that same specific path anymore right? Right, right you lack the fundamentals right you don't know even how to draw you don't know even how light works probably you only muscle memorized how lighting works overall and during sunset you know you work with photos and that's it but you still don't know um how to tackle different subjects without knowing the fundamentals you know and so um um with uh with hitman going back to how i adjusted myself that was the project where i really had to had to adjust really go back to the fundamentals I remember that the first couple of concept pieces I did there was just like line drawing. And I was like, fuck, I need to, I really now need to up the game because they need like um, a, a nice photo realistic almost concept every second day, right? Mm -hmm. Or sometimes every day, wow. sometimes twice a day, you would have to pump out a nice piece. And so um, 
I adjusted by um, by still listening to you know to to the core of what I learned over the years, but uh, but adjusting uh, like there are shortcuts. So I started to adjust the photos, put in more photos, put in uh, start helping. Um, I asked for help from this guy that took a reference trip to Venezuela. So he had tons of pictures from Colombia because the the project was based in Colombia. We were working on the Colombian level, and so. Um, with the fundamentals and knowledge, I was able to adjust these photo-bashed pictures in a way that they kind of look painted, they can not look painted. I mix some 3D, some photos, but when you know the fundamentals, you can all melt it together so it looks coherent and realistic in its lighting scenario, together with the composition and the, 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 the color contrast, you know, because you can also design with color Right. So that is, uh, yeah, that is how I adjusted. And it was a stressful, challenging, um, beautiful experience. And uh, after that, I also had a couple, even recently. So that is, uh, yeah. Yeah, thanks for those insights. Um, like on a typical day, what is your process like? How often or how frequently do clients expect those loose sketches from you? Or are they expecting maybe 3D blockouts? of certain levels or certain hardware designs or do they just give you the free uh, time you know to freedom to explore and then figure out the design like i thought that um because just let me open the window quickly sure sure so we have a heat wave so uh, you know it's uh, it's unbelievable like the summers uh, I, I, I don't remember last time when uh, we had a hot summer like this, but this uh, it's very hot. Like I'm doing nothing and I'm sweating like oh, uh, like a mouse after giving birth. Um, <laughs> That's oddly specific. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> and the winter was also very cold, you know. So anyway, uh, clients never ask for uh, for any specific way. Uh, actually, you know, really, they don't. They never ask me. Yeah, you have to do to these sketches, or you have to deliver a blockout. Mm-hmm. So again, I I really decide on my own what what the process should be to give them the best result in in the fastest amount of time. Okay. Right. They only care for the result. Yeah. Really. Um. But yeah, they care for about speed, and they care about you know a certain amount of variations. So you can uh, start a conversation, right? You have a couple of design mm-hmm. designs ready, a couple of explorations ready. You can uh, you can basically uh, then start a conversation. It sparks a dialogue, and uh, that is one of the key features of our jobs as well, I guess. Okay. So yeah. yeah. So in your process, how often are you actually going back to three D to block out stuff versus sketching out? Because a lot of your output is definitely line work and like just yeah. flat color passes to explain the design. So how often do you switch between the two? Um, more often and often. And I think right now when it comes to personal work, um, I, I stick more to 2D because I just feel more freedom and it's just, I see like a spare time. When it comes to professional, it is like 40 to 50% now is easily 3D. Like I really rely on it a lot. I always start in 2D. If you're asking specifically how I juggle in between, I always start in 2D because uh, like I'm becoming basically 
responsible for every little line, every single gesture, mm-hmm. every single um, every single aspect of you know a shape, which 3D still is not there yet to suggest these kinds of details, in my opinion. And I'm also not that fast with 3D. I'm way faster in sketching, you know, 50 sketches out on paper and having them in a nice way presented that they already look eye appealing. And once a design gets, uh, once once we like uh, agree on a design, then I go in 3D, I block out the shape. And that also depends to what degree I model, you know, the right. client has all the time in the world, then I can even uh, model the whole thing, no problem. Uh, but again, I'm just a little bit slower than, of course, a, a 3D guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but most of the time, I um, I model like for maximum a day, and then the next day I make a, a nice uh, line drawing on top of that, and then if necessary, if necessary, the rest of the week or the next two days I make you know a nice final render, and. Uh, yeah, I, I like the process of uh, hybrid concepting, so to speak. Yeah, awesome. It's, uh, yeah. I guess the reason I was trying to get really specific into this process, so to speak, was so that people who are listening, especially who are wanting to get into hardware and hard surface design, have a good benchmark to understand what can be expected on a typical day from a professional. Because sometimes you might have like very unrealistic expectations of too much work or too little work so i think hearing from a professional is always good yeah i think um like um in on average it is as expected from you to make a nice design with at least not maybe with all the materials and a super nice render intact but when we're talking about design explorations orthographic views so that can come in you know you can work still in 2d if you want like again i never with all the clients big and small they never ever you know said you know you have to do in 3d so if you're still comfortable in 2d and you're a junior concept artist uh stay in 2d for a while although i would encourage to go in 3d because it gets so easy and so much more accurate um anyway it takes around uh three to four working days to me to come up with uh with with a, with a solid design right right sorry for that uh, sorry okay. so it takes around three to four days and that includes a couple of exploration sketches orthographic views mm-hmm. or a 3d blockout and a nice final design yeah awesome. um, but i guess when you're uh, a beginner and you are going into hardware design don't expect to um, design crazy ships right off the bat. I think that nowadays that our market also becomes more saturated. Um, junior concept artists or junior concept artists that are starting out and are specializing in hardware and prop design. They will be tasked. They will be tasked with very grounded elements, right? Like, for example, a container. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, draw some assets, uh, some props that will be uh, scattered around uh, a military base or a naval base or a sci-fi street, for example. So you have to take into consideration that um, you don't start right away designing um, the shapes, for example, that you see uh, 
in, in, in my portfolio. I'm not saying that, oh, look at me, how experienced I am. This is, this is the reality, right? Um, and even I started out like that 10 years ago. I started working on a very grounded World War II projects, uh, project, sorry, where we had, you know, there was like an alternate setting of the Second World War. Okay. But I was still working in, you know, uh, you know take the T-34 tank, strip the turret and make for example an anti-air gun uh, tank out of it you know so that was very i was not back then i was not creating these bubbly shapes and crazy spaceships that you uh, that you see sketches out from right now um, however i do it is important to uh, to teach uh, and to channel that knowledge to uh, to students how to do it how to tackle design um, and not stay of course only uh, trapped into the super grounded like oh draw out you know a table you know where you know uh, where the main player has all his props you know it's like it is it is important for a concept artist to grow and to experiment even when you're beginning so yeah yeah i guess it's a balance that you need to find between how much you deviate from the real world and how do you balance that design language. yeah i guess i guess you you said it in a in a shorter nicer way it is a balance fight the balance and of course find something that you also really really like you know that's important Ve like that is very important like i love hardware design right so i already maybe that gave me a head start right like i never had to force myself you know to uh, um uh, to sit down and draw well that is maybe not true but most of the time i really wanted to just sit and draw you know sit and draw and draw and just experiment with shapes and whatnot and um uh while i'm like always observing the real world that is that is something that i always love you know even on a lazy day i'm like still observing stuff around me you know so yeah so earlier you had mentioned like the military influences into your work from your childhood are there any other particular artists or movies or books that have inspired you over the years or something that you keep going back to now um, oh, good one. <clears throat> um, I didn't read too many books, uh, to be honest. Um, like, like I, I like fiction books, that's for sure. But like, not like when I, the, the thing is with books, when I start reading, I always have to like imagine every scene, um, how it's visualized, how the lighting is, what the character is wearing. Like I have to know everything. And, um, um that you know draws the attention away from me however i am i am now um kind of reading it's an audiobook i'm now reading the last wish uh, which is a witcher book okay um so i really want to pick up reading however when it comes to books and um deriving knowledge from them when to become a concept artist i think i would really recommend scott robinson's books um how to draw how to render i think that is you know the obvious uh, thing to go um and then you have, of course, uh, movies. Movies is also a good one because it's like movies are like also like another reinterpretation of what the real world has to offer, right? And yeah. with the years, the real world has just so much to offer than any movie. However, a movie presents you with a nice reinterpretation that has been reinterpreted by uh, another director. You know, he took some elements and he filtered it out and he put it out on the on the big screen 
So for example, the world of the Terminator is a very good example, right? right. Um, we all have computers these days. We know how hydraulic systems work. Um, we know what a CPU is, but with that concept, he created, you know, the, the, they created the Terminator, you know, and there's Skynet. And that is definitely an inspirational piece of, uh, of cinema that inspired me uh, back when I was, um, yeah, when I was, I don't know when the first time I watched it, like nine or 10. Wow, okay. Uh, yeah, so that was, um, that, was an, that was very inspirational. Many other movies, like the recent ones, I, I think are also very um, worth to mention. Avatar is, for, for me, a good example of grounded technology, right? But they really present a unique world, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then when it comes to video games, well, the number one inspiration was for me uh, Tiberian Sun, right? Uh, Command oh, and Conquer. Command and Conquer, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. So basically that video game, um, I learned what concept art is because of that video game, you know? Mm-hmm. Like I got so much into the world that after the playing or like when at school, when we had access to computers, I would just like look up Tiberian Sun, you know? And then I would come come across the concept art, right? And I already loved drawing. So I was like, holy shit, these are like the drawings of the power plant that i always build and this is like you know the drawing of you know the 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 titan mech you know that walks in that game uh so that's how i learned oh these are these are concept designs and i was like yeah i knew it i knew it that people have to be hired to come up with that shit i mean (laughs) how else like because they they they, I, i only thought you know when you're young you think like oh video games are made by you know software engineers and programmers you know but there was a heavy involvement of art back then right so you need creative minds to to design this these things a lot of people don't think about it you know if you like um like everyone enjoys star wars right Mm -hmm. Uh, well almost everyone you know it's so popular it's widely you know it's super popular but when you ask for example yeah but who came up with all these walkers you know it's like they don't think about it. it was just yeah but it's star wars it's just there you know but it had to be designed by someone, right? And when I learned that, you know, the Tiberian sun, the whole unit list and all the buildings and the world setting that visually had to be designed, I just fell in love with the fact that it is a job, you know? That's interesting. I remember also playing, I think it was the the part after that called Red Alert or Red Alert 2 or something like that, which was also part of the Command and Conquer series. Yeah, it's a different universe, but uh-huh. it is uh, the same franchise. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think that was one of my earliest memories of playing a game as well. So yeah. interesting how. It- yeah, Red Alert. Yeah, Red Alert Two is another uh, amazing game. It's so too bad they don't make uh, RTS like that anymore. Really, mm, that's true. So. I think the it's interesting how the kind of game that's popular over each generation changes as well as the technology changes. Yeah. It's kind of still, right now, it's still Call of Duty and Battlefield that are the most popular, right? Or no, there is now, uh, how's it called? Fort- Fortnite is the most popular right now? Yeah, I mean, just the Battle Royale style of games, I think. The that's... Battle Royale, yeah, yeah, the Battle Royale style, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah they're milking the shit out of it right now. <laughs> like every, I think like even, uh, like all the, all the games have now a Battle Royale mode in it, you know? Yeah. So... Yeah, interesting. Um, 
yeah, man, the video game industry. It's uh, that's uh, it's an interesting topic as well. So um, there was a whole new another topic that I definitely wanted to touch upon with you, which is obviously the focal point school that you and Derek have been working on. So maybe just in brief, we can go into the origin of why you started the school and then some follow up questions based on that. Yeah, so uh, me and my friend Derek, we actually met during my um, uh, during my job in Utrecht that I told about earlier. Mm -hmm. So we met in uh, 2012. Oh, okay. But uh, virtually. So when I was working in uh, in that company, it's called by the way the Isotex, but they don't exist anymore. So when I worked at Isotex in uh, in Utrecht from 2000. 11 to 2013 um i was working a lot of design concept art but uh, in the end they needed more help they needed to illustrate and make keyframes and they needed to make awesome looking inspiring um backgrounds for the game so that my concepts can be displayed on a huge battlefield in a battle scene and then uh, my boss stumbled upon Derek, and uh yeah, he was already super amazing back then. He was already like, you know, making these uh, uh, like these Lord of the Rings fan arts and stuff, you know, like these moody, like his his thing. Like when you say uh, uh, it really impacts where you were, um, where you grew up mm -hmm. when it's like it is like a military theme for me because where I grew up. Um, but for him, it's it's definitely the architectural aspect of the city that he was born in and lived in. Now I also live in Gdańsk. And I can really, uh, I can really understand why his design style, the way it is, mm -hmm. you know, all the spiky architecture, yeah, a lot of Gothic old, architecture, yeah, yeah, exactly. The medieval buildings and the mood, it's just uh, beautiful, and I like how that reflects in his uh, in his art. Anyway, so uh, we met, we became very good friends. Um, I was very happy that he actually first approached me like, hey, who is that guy that designs these things that I illustrate, you know? So he reached to my art director, art director gave the contact to my boss and my boss said like, hey, this guy, you know, uh, wants to talk to you. And so we talked and yeah, we became kind of like, um, um, uh, yeah, uh, brothers, you know? Uh, we started to, you know, Skype after work, um, do each other over paints, help each other out. We were, you know, still pretty much, uh, yeah, newbies actually, right? So we were uh, doing these like uh, hangout sessions. So we were doing Skyrim fan arts, uh, like from night to morning, you know. Um, and that friendship kind of developed over the years. We started to do more workshops. And most of the time we would present these workshops kind of uh, together because we had a good flow, because we, we were learning together also throughout the years. Mm -hmm. So when we were talking about art and design, we kind of, it, it was so logical. We approached it in the most logical way. Um, and speaking to the audience became kind of like a, like a flow, you know? Sometimes it was chaotic. It was not streamlined, of course. Um, but we had a thing going on and what we noticed is that we really like it and that we had huge satisfaction that people are actually learning stuff from us, right? Uh, Derek had then his mentorship class where he had an amazing round of students. They learned so much. I think they are now also working in, in studios already. Um, 
uh, I did uh, also, and he did also a lot of workshop throughout Europe. Then I also had my uh, CGMA class. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a couple of workshop with FCB, as you know. Yeah. Um, and so that developed more and more. And so, um, like, I never wanted to teach because I never knew that I knew enough to teach. But when I see that people are coming to us, kind of automatically asking us, and we see that and we see results from it, then it's very hard not to love it because it is amazing to change someone's life for the better, you know? Like you're working on, you're like co-working with someone to reach his dream like we did back in the day, you know? And so over the years of friendship, we decided, um, hey man, um, let's start a school and uh, let's really let's really have our own thing where we will be not restricted with uh, with time and not restricted by the rules of uh, other schools let's like have our own etiquette our own way of teaching uh, we can decide how the classes will be run how we will construct them and so that's how it started and that is the reason why we started the school um, you know because out of love for teaching and seeing that people are having yeah, huge benefits from it. It's the, it's the best satisfaction. It's like, um, like to be honest, you know, it's nice to have you know uh, money and uh, I don't know. People ask for fame, but the the best thing is when a student, for example, writes you after the class is over, "Hey, uh, this really changed me." You know, like in the I created more work in the last eight weeks than I did in the last year or two. Wow. And and right now I am I I see the the skill gap like. He was walking the path of concept art, but um, with our lectures, he just make a leap forward, you know, like boom, and he is there. He's know what he's up to, and um, they they are focused on um, on where to get if they're not even there, and it's just uh, it's an amazing experience, really. I, uh, it's simple as it is, basically, you know. Yeah, that's, that's great. A, and a simple reason. And you guys. If I remember correctly, that's the first concept art school physically in Europe, right? Or am I? Yeah, like back in uh, 2018, we were we were really careful to call it the first concept art school, but we went through the list of all the schools, and there was not even one school that solely focused on concept art. Mm. So yeah, um, we wanted to really say like, yeah, we we are the first in Europe. Uh, we are, and we will do everything we can to provide a real concept design education um, for people that really want to become a concept artist. Hence why we wanted to do it physically. Because again, through our experience, when I see students that took the online classes or the online lectures that I did versus the physical workshops that I did, I can channel the knowledge better. Students are more motivated, Mm -hmm. more disciplined. And quite frankly, it is a nice natural filter, you know, because in the end, I know that it's, for example, more expensive to come all over the way for Poland. But in the, in the end, I know that the people that make it to Poland, they are already here. So they, they will probably not fuck up and I will not waste my time. And they're probably very dedicated. So we will have a nice strict group of people that are really willing to give their utmost best. And I think that makes sense. And um, that's what we will continue to do, even though now with the coronavirus, we did um, uh, introduce hybrid classes, but they will never be set. Like the online aspect will be never separated from 
the physical aspect. So people that really cannot come, they'll be able to join and tune in with us online. Mm -hmm. But we teachers and the, the, the students that come over physically will still be doing it in a physical format while people that cannot come will be able to benefit from it at the same time. So, I think you mentioned a great point there. Like when you physically go to that place, there's a certain level of commitment that is required towards your work, towards your craft. And you will not waste your time when you're there because you yeah. already put in so much into that. That's quite Exactly. True. And um, and like what I said earlier, you know, uh, that that is exactly why it's so nice that you're doing what you're doing and i hope that you will be keep on doing because it it grows us uh together you know mm -hmm. uh, i think the concept art community should you know keep it more together and um again it comes down that we are like pack animals you know we work better when we are in a group you know you will probably work much better when you go um a week or a couple of times a week to a school to meet your peers and to work in a disciplined way towards, you know, your end goal, you know, because if you just everything do from home, you know, and you're disciplined, first of all, it's not built up yet. You're like, oh, fuck, I got my class. Oh, let's eat something and turn on the computer and tune in. And then when you want to leave, you leave. If you want to take a shit, you just leave <laughs> You leave and take a shit. Even though if you're in class, you also have to do it. But you know what I mean? It's yeah. like you even can do it while being naked. So there is no uniform disciplined style to it. You are not in a pack. You are just, it's like an observation basically, right? And of course, um, I think that internet is really a strong tool to, uh, you know, absorb knowledge from. And I took myself um, an online class from Heavy Poly, from mm -hmm. Von Lee. Really recommend if you're into Blender. And that was an online class. But I'm I'm telling you, I, I can understand that some people, you know, they would perform much better if it was a physical class. Um, it has downsides and ups and downs on, on both sides. When it comes to, I think when it comes to learning a tool like Blender, I think online is fine. When it comes to teaching someone how to design, I, I think uh, in Derek's opinion and in my opinion, in both of our opinions, it's the best way to channel that kind of knowledge physically. Yeah. First question within, you know, the teacher-student relationship, so to speak. Now you, now you guys have been teaching for a while. What are some of the more common mistakes that you see from people who are trying to get into the industry? Are there some patterns that keep getting repeated often? Yes. A lot. Well, first of all, we make mistakes too, right? Yeah. We as teachers. But let's talk then first about the mistakes that, uh, that, that upcoming students make so that they can maybe avoid when they're joining uh, a school or an education or even when they, when they self-educate. Um, again, the number one thing that I see is that they, 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 for, they, it's a couple of things at the same time, but first things first, they overwhelm themselves with too many tools, you oh, know? Okay. Yeah. Um, so I see, you know, people going into photo bash into 3d and these tools limit them. You know, for example, I've seen some concept works from, uh, from, uh, from an applicant. Um, and he, was very proud that he was already being able to make stuff in 3D, sketch on top of it. And 
I looked at it and it was so obvious that he was just drawing on top of a very simple, um, on top of very simple geometry. Right. So if you cannot come up, if you, if you are being restricted by the tool, you know, because obviously 3D takes some time to, you know, being able to make more complex geometry, right? So he was able to come up with very basic cube likes, maybe a triangle here. And then when he sees that shape on that screen, he doesn't still have the creative freedom and visual library developed to kind of, you, because you can really work on top of very simple geometry. But yeah. what I notice is that a lot of people are like restricted, like they have that kind of simple thing in front of their face and they it's very hard for them to bend away and to go into the creative realm and to really make something more uh, complex, uh, something more that, uh, that really shines with a certain design language. They basically draw over the simple... Uh, geometry with some details inside of them that don't make much sense they they the lines are not following each other there is no design philosophy whatsoever and that has to do because they are forcing the creativity out of themselves while not first going back really to the fundamentals and just just really do first studies of real elements you know what interests you you know i like tanks Let's draw tanks for a month or two, you know, mm-hmm. or military vehicles. Uh, let's see why, you know, they have threats. Let's see what kind of engines they have, you know. So you can maybe start making drawings of the internal parts, you know. How does a turbine engine work, you know? Uh, how does a suspension work, you know, all that kind of stuff. That will really teach you um, how to tackle uh, different shapes. So that is that is the first Thing that that I see in people the, the the that make the mistakes you know using too many tools without having the design knowledge to utilize them to the to the best degree. Um, the second thing would be um, again, and that has again to do with the with the grounded aspect of it. Especially when I see people starting going into hardware design, I really see a lack of immersion. Right. They, I think if they immerse themselves a little bit more, like, okay, I'm going to draw um, a spaceship, you know, immerse yourself. What kind of civilization? What kind of technology level? Read about what kind of technology we had in the 40s, 50s, 60s, how it developed, what kind of materials were used. Um, And that will really, like, immerse you to become uh, a more, yeah, realistic designer. And, And that really will attract the audience because... The, the beginner stuff that I see, it is just too forced, too much random shapes, all is like cluttered together. So it's just like more guns and like the, the, like, the, uh, like the cockpit is just above the gun. So there will be no space for the pilot inside. So everything doesn't make sense. Everything is like just fucking, you know, it's, a, it's, it's like, a, yeah, it's, it's like a piece of, of vomit, you know, uh, if design itself will be able to vomit, then that's <laughs> how it would look like, you know, it's like all over the place. Right. Um, so first of all, don't go and design spaceships to begin with. Again, go back to what the real world has to offer. You will be amazed that, you know, you see cars, almost everyone see cars every day. Just take some photos of a car um, or 
go to even like a scrapyard where you can see the inside of the car. You can see how the car looks like when you take the wheel off, when you put uh, when you put the hood up, and you can kind of like digest how each part is working, how the panels are divided, how does the door line go out of what because a car is a modular piece of equipment right and that's how humankind have been making hardware pieces for quite a while you know yeah. we don't have the technology to mold everything perfectly in one shape and have a magic door without seams without lines and just go in it you know um we always make something that you know you have to think as a manufacturer too right so think as a manufacturer think rich immerse yourself stay grounded for a long time before you start daring to take on crazy shapes. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very good point. Because actually, even within the real world, there are so many complex things that you can study before yeah. trying to create the fictional cool object, so to speak. Because even a thorough study of a real world spaceship can give you far more valuable results than just yeah. designing a fictional spaceship right away. Definitely. Definitely. And, and I think that they um, that they thought uh, you guys did an FZD too, right? Like you guys have been for a long time, yeah. for a long time working on very grounded pieces. And quite frankly, the industry really only needs most of the time, not only, but most of the time they really need grounded stuff to begin with, right? Like the, the crazy ass belly looking bubbly ships that you see from me, that's, uh, well, that's more personal work. I'm not allowed to share too much professional work anyway. It's right. more like, you know, I'm just letting my mind loose. And of course it's fun to do. And that's how I practice my design skills, but don't force uh, crazy shapes when you still have so much to learn about the real world, definitely. And then the third mistake that is a, is a major mistake is um, <clears throat> that a lot of people don't know actually what concept design is, you know? Mm -hmm. We get the submissions uh, of, you know, some manga characters, for example, and then they say they want to become a concept artist, you know? So like that, that with these kinds of people, like you really have to then, okay, let's, let's, Let's rewind it a little back and tell me exactly what your goal in life is, because the work is reflecting, you know, not a designer's mind. Right. So, and, but you still really want to become a concept artist. That's good. But let me then introduce you an alternate thing of, you know, what design actually is, you know, because a lot of people think, you know, it, like concept art becomes more popular with the years, I think. Right. Definitely. But a lot of people just think, oh, it's just drawing and making awesome environments and scenes. Uh, and yeah, they have to be awesome. They have to look good. But again, it's the design that counts the most. People are going to pay you for the idea, not the pretty picture. The pretty picture is, you know, to be honest, you can make a photo and then they have it. You know, you have a beautiful sunset. You have a beautiful, uh, beautiful blue sky with mountains. You know, that is that is cheaper to obtain than unique shapes. But like you said, yeah, it is uh, very important to take those unique shapes and put them in a beautiful environment all coherently. So it also makes sense in a sense of, you know, that it's being lit up nicely um, and that the composition is nice around it. So yeah. Um, know the definition of concept art before you start uh, putting uh, time on it because no one will pay you uh, 
a good salary for drawing uh, manga characters. I'm afraid. Maybe I'm mistaken. Again, you know, I don't know everything. Maybe there is, you know, a studio that needs amazing manga characters all the time and there is a huge market for it. But um, I don't think that's the case uh, with concept design and especially the video game and film industry, you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, there is a whole other market for manga. And if somebody wants to go into that, that's a completely different trajectory and path to get to that point. I think so, yeah. Yeah, that will be more like uh, illustrators, right? Mm -hmm. uh, comics. And I guess, uh, and, I, and I think the Asian market is like super um, um, expanded in that, right? Yeah. But, um, and again, it's not to dismiss anyone in the way they work, but it's just to like really ask them, okay, this is what you have in your portfolio. Is concept art really what you want to do? And if yes, then let's tackle that. And if no, then, you know, maybe, uh, maybe you got the definition of concept art wrong and you should look for something else, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Thanks um, for that explanation. Yeah. That, I think that that should clear up a lot of doubts for people, you know, when they are trying to approach a particular school to study from and also approach particular studios, like what kind of work do they need to actually have to get into this yeah. industry itself? Yeah. Yeah, that's that, that alone is a good uh, uh, question. Like, what kind of work do you need to get hired, right? Mm -hmm. So you can also approach it in, in, in many ways, right? There is the way of, you know, really catering to one style and to one studio to increase your chances of getting hired. The risk there is, of course, that you eliminate yourself from all, all the other companies that might be looking for a concept artist. And... The other disadvantage is that you are working according to a style that is already being that already has been set up by a company. That means that that company already has the right people for it to make these concept art. So I think you have to be lucky that you know a spot gets open or they just expand and they need more, which of course happens. But you really also have to always consider the, the disadvantages of working in that manner. Then you have the, the manner of working, you know, in a, in a broad way. You know, I'm going to focus on the fundamentals and I'm going to be versatile to increase my chances to get hired by everyone that, you know, might need a concept artist. That's a good advantage. Disadvantage is that you probably will, in some cases, well, progress slower right because you will not become a specialist fast you are working on a wide uh, uh, sphere in a wide spectrum the other disadvantage is that of course um, well there, there is uh, there is just so many con good concept artists right now that would will take you a lot of time to become good at everything at once um, so I don't think there is a right way to approach it. You really have to, like you said earlier, balance it out, you know? And I think uh, I balance it out a little bit. I always try to be versatile, but I always peaked a bit more in, uh, I spent always more time in, in hardware design. Right. Um, yeah. So. So I wanted to talk about the way you and Derek have structured the course of the school itself. You have like, intermediate and advanced level classes, I believe, within different core subject matters. So how did you develop this syllabus and what went into the thought process that, hey, this is what the industry needs. So this is what we are providing and just thoughts on how you developed it. Yeah, yeah it's a good question. And uh, 
yeah, thanks for asking about the school again. <laughs> it's like a free commercial here for me, you know, uh, for us. Absolutely. Uh, Darek will also be very happy. But to answer your question, we have, yeah, like you said, we uh, the intermediate are the intro classes. Mm -hmm. that's, uh, that's how we call them. We have, we have the intro classes and we have the advanced classes. Okay. Um, we have uh, three classes per, uh, uh, per, per category. So we have the three intro classes, three advanced classes. So we have intro to uh, digital painting, intro to hardware design, intro to environment design. Okay. And then you have the same classes. Well, they're not the same, but you have the equivalent to that uh, of the advanced one, right? So the advanced digital, et cetera, et cetera. Um, <clears throat> the way they are structured is that uh, during the digital painting classes, in the intro variant, we teach uh, people how to just basically, um, well, first of all, paint digitally. So how to how to tackle color, value, very important, Compos uh, introduction to composition, um, painting techniques, going um, going over photo studies of. Um, of uh, of your of your, of your own photo studies of the internet dissecting how light works then we go back and forth we also approach then digital painting in a logical way so we logically explain in the most logical way when me and Derek explain how light works how materials react to it so that you will not rely with your muscle memory how a painting should be painted okay. but you will know by heart how photons react through an atmosphere you know why does the sunset uh, uh, go in uh, why is the sunset red why is the sky blue during broad daylight um, why are we seeing rainbows um, all these aspects all these atmospherical like there is kind of like a scientific uh, and logic aspect to it to really explain uh, digital painting in a way so that you can present your ideas in the best way possible, right? So the digital, uh, so the digital painting classes are all about presenting your ideas by uh, tackling these painting and rendering skills. The advanced variant of that covers that and more. So we go over um, old masters like Clyde Aspivig. Uh, we go over the painting and drawing techniques of. Um, um, of Sid Mead, for example, Frank Fazetta. Uh, we introduce how they were tackling uh, design as well within their paintings. Uh, what uh, what made them stand apart, etc. Uh, to to together with how to use digital painting and three D tools at the same time to really have the upper hand and uh, not only no design but stand out as a designer and then you have the the core design classes right so the environment the intro to environment class uh, focuses on uh, you know fast black black and white uh, compositions mm -hmm. uh, it's a, it's a class taught by Derek he really goes over you know uh, the history architecture uh, uh, what kind of architectures our civilization came up with, you know, from the from the Roman times, Greek times, all the way to the modern era, the difference between uh, uh, Soviet architecture, Western architecture, modern architecture. Um, then, of course, you know, landscape, geographical um, st studies, et cetera, et cetera. And then the advanced variation of that is, again, um, working towards um, making these designs, you know, 
up to the standard of our industry, you know, and again, working with tools. Uh, he works with Octane, for example. Mm-hmm. He also with Blender uh, nowadays um, to uh, to really pump out awesome ideas. Like one of his assignment was, uh, you know, make a futuristic airport, right? So all the knowledge that we then gather over the weeks, you know, from the real world, we we inf- we we influence that, and he he teaches the students how to make like a nice for a nice organic structure that could be like a huge air, future airport for example and um the same goes then for my class the hardware design class um where in the intro we study a lot of vehicles we talk about the history we talk even about the differentials of a car suspension because that fuels the creative mind you then have a lot of excuses to make detail uh, and then that detail in within your vehicles also start to make a lot of sense you know and then the advanced classes is again, you know, you not only study uh, your your um, um, uh, your drawing perspective skills and your um, mechanical skills how they should go, but you we also then teach how to design. We teach how to dynamically sketch. Um, we teach how to uh, design all these vehicles in a in a in a trendy up to the standard way because the, the also the advanced classes consist of a final task where we simulate uh, an assignment um, that is you know that reflects what uh, the industry is demanding right okay. so the final side yeah so the final final assignment might be you no know, design you know of, of a future building that you know acts as a bunker and you can store vehicles in it you know and then Derek Derek's class is all about making that uh, building within a set environment and then I join in with uh, my class and then we design the vehicles for that bunker to be stored in and wow. the props around it so the classes yeah the classes are synced in that way so knowledge that you obtain for example in the hardware class mm-hmm. you know about you know animals, uh, the design flow. You can definitely use that knowledge in Derek's environment class, and vice versa. Because we spend a lot of time um, streamlining the classes, so so that you know it it will become like a nice flowing river for the students as much as possible. Because there is a lot of knowledge, there's a lot of to cover, and so we have to streamline it so that you know um, it becomes all coherent if that makes sense you know yeah i think that's a great model i don't think i've seen that happen too many times where the work from each class kind of feeds into the other class and at the end the student essentially has a huge world building portfolio ready because so many aspects have been covered basically through the course yes yeah you're right on that and uh you know and i think every school has their uh, strength and um and every school should be uh doing the way how they believe uh they should teach mm-hmm. and uh, i'm just happy that um, me, me and Derek uh, came up with that model we uh, every term we streamline it we update it of course because you know we also make mistakes and we constantly uh, improve and try to make the make the best experience for the students obviously yeah so so do you guys um plan to bring on more instructors or just kind of expand on what you're already teaching or uh, of course, if you want to not share the plans about that, that's fine as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's first sign some NDAs. So. Um, no, I uh, we definitely um, plan to expand. We definitely would love to have uh, more instructors. 
our core focus is now to, of course, have uh, someone join us that uh, really has their character design down to their bones, down to their spine. It is, um, however, very hard to find someone like that and to convince them to move uh, to Poland when we only run uh, two or three terms uh, a year um, because we also we don't want to give up our full-time jobs that is kind of the reason also why we have the school because we want to keep on working and always feed the students the current demands and technology and 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 industry requests uh, and we stay up to date we don't become dinosaurs you know yeah that's that's um, but yeah, we definitely uh, try to expand. And that is for now uh, a struggle, you know, like you, you there is always some struggles. The, the coronavirus also didn't help us with uh, expanding, let's be honest. Uh, we, we had to pull in our own resources to keep it afloat and everything. Um, but yeah, the, the plans for the future is to, well, first of all, it is quality over quantity. So let's see how, you know, the future terms will go after all this uh, COVID. Um, after all this COVID crisis is done. And I think uh, it will go nice. We, we have a lot of eager people that approach us. And from there on, we will definitely expand. And we were in the process of expanding before pre-COVID time, we already had uh, um, um, Andrea, he is, uh, he's an Italian. He's very good with uh, ZBrush. And he did this amazing three days uh, workshop at our, um, at our faculty and that has been an amazing experience for our uh, students mm -hmm. uh, people that are not signed up in a current term or class they only pay like uh, 75 bucks but people that are already part of of even one class they can join it for free you know and that uh, that benefits the students even more it might be a slightly overwhelming because even one class can be a lot of work but it's a three days intensive workshop and uh, he did an amazing job and we will definitely look into, uh, for, for starters, I think it is better to, for now, um, for sure, we're going to focus on people joining us for these short periods. Mm -hmm. Long-term strategy is definitely um, go for more instructors that will be willing to uh, work with us and to, um, yeah, help the future generation, um, yeah, have um, the best successful career as they can. And, and also quite frankly, it is also important to, you know, respect yourself and respect your value. And that is also what um, we talk about opening the school. I think overall we should talk about it more openly, you know, how to not get ripped off by a client, how to ask normally for a day rate or rates in general. Um, yeah, again, that, that, the, the teaching experience has been a has been a nice way, and expanding is definitely a part of it. But we're not forcing anything, you know. It, um, it for now, we are very happy that we uh, that our upcoming term is filled, mm -hmm. and let's see how things will go post COVID. I'm very excited for for the future. That's for sure. <clears throat> I really appreciate the transparency and honesty about the internal workings of a school because. I mean, from the outside, we just look at, okay, these two concept artists are developing the school and people are learning, but there's so much more work that actually goes into setting it up. So it's always interesting to hear from the other side. But yeah, I guess the question that leads from there is how are you guys balancing your personal life? Because you're obviously working professionally, doing this personal work, 
running the terms. So how is the balance like for you? Uh, yeah, it's pretty busy. I'm never bored. <laughs> and the, the same goes for Darek. Uh, we definitely are in touch almost on a daily basis because, uh, well, not, not because only that we are friends, but we definitely have to be in touch to keep the school running. So even though when we don't have the term running, mm -hmm. when there is no current term running, we have to kind of, you know, um, keep the emails in check, keep the website in check, the payment systems, the registration uh, systems, um, you know, we have to keep in check if we will have, you know, uh, you know, the, the, the building, the faculties, we now have to set up the online um, infrastructure so people can seamlessly join us in class, we have to set up the cameras, we have to think about all these kinds of logistics. Um, so that takes, uh, of course, a lot of time, we have, uh, every term we also work on updating the lectures as well. Um, yeah, so that is, uh, it's constant work. On top of that, we have client work. Um, I myself have been very, very busy this this year. Uh, but again, as a freelancer, it's like wave, you know, I don't want to say like, oh, fuck, I'm so busy all the time. Sometimes my, my record is that I didn't have uh, any freelance gig for like six months. That was like two years ago, you know, oh, okay. I was like, yeah. And uh, most most important pan the most important thing is not to panic about this, you know, and just you know that is the, a beautiful opportunity for me to focus on the school, for example, mm -hmm. focus on my personal growth, uh, maybe spend more time with uh, with family and stuff. So um, that is how balancing goes. And um, yeah, I I do sleep still eight hours a day or more because I really need my sleep as I get older. Otherwise, I'm just a wreck. But other than that, I'm always, uh, always busy. Yeah, always busy with something. Yeah, I mean, in terms of planning, are, you, I, are you somebody? Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, and, and I think so are you, right? Like, I think that what you reached in a relatively short amount of time, and you now you also have your podcast, you know, and you work for Rockstar Games. And before you, uh, you know, worked your ass off at FZD, um that really means that you i think you're also never bored right yeah so i think that's a yeah that, never bored is a gentle way of putting what the day-to-day -day looks like there you go there you go <laughs> so you you know how that kind of life looks like and i think that is what i need personally like like you know like some people love to play video games all the time you know they have that uh, they have that um you know they really feel the the constant drag to log into their character and keep on leveling that character, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but why not have it with your own real life, you know? Yeah, that's a, that's a like great... At advantage. least you have... Yeah, you at least have some real, realistic benefits from it if you level your own character, you know? That's true. So um, that is how I see it. Even though I love video games, don't get me wrong, really. So from a day-to-day -day planning perspective, are you somebody who's like quite organized and planning day-to-day -day lists out or is it more free flow the way you approach day-to-day -day basis? Uh, to be honest, more free flow, yeah. Yeah, okay. I really, I have a rough schedule of what has to be done during a certain week. But um, I picked this kind of lifestyle for a reason, you know, when I worked in studio, then I had to be, you know, this was very routine, like, you know, wake up, uh, go to work, work out, mm -hmm. work again, go to sleep. Right. And then I was the same time every single day right now is, um, more organic, you know? So the last, last couple of, uh, like today is Friday, right? 
Yeah. So I remember that Tuesday and Wednesday morning, I woke up at 7 a.m. and I worked uh, when I when because okay, it was so hot. I, I woke up with no problems and I went straight to work. I was done around afternoon and then I had time for other things. But sometimes so I wake up at uh, 11 in the morning or even one in the afternoon because the previous day I was working till 6 a.m., right? Right, right? And I like working during the nights. And if I like working during the nights, if I'm the most productive during the night, then I'm just doing that. I'm not forcing myself, you know, to be that character that, you know, oh, I have to be strict. I'm going uh, 10 o'clock uh, in the afternoon to bed. I wake up at 4 a.m. I start my day. I tried. I cannot do it. I lose my productivity. I'm not fully awakened. I'm not fully creative uh, during the day. Uh, you know, during the day, I do all this administration stuff, taxation, answering emails. When, when the sun goes down <clears throat> and it's, well, in the summer, it's more much later, but uh, metaphorically speaking, when the sun goes down, that's when I have all the peace and that's when I can activate the designer's mind, so to speak, you know? Mm. So it often happens that I work uh, till, till early morning, yeah. And I really like that, you know? So these personal sketches that you've been doing, I know you keep posting a lot of exploration sketches quite often as well, especially on your Instagram account. Are these all in process towards a larger personal project or is it more just exploration for the sake of exploration? Uh, both kind of. Okay. It's like it's it, this kind of habit that I have. Excuse me, Jesus. That was a nasty burp. Sorry. Um, it's kind of like a habit that I uh, that I build up over over the years you know i'm done with work and sometimes i feel like i should you know just just sketch around you know and sometimes it is for my project 1952 where i really restrict myself with you know the technology level and the lore and everything and uh, sometimes it's just you know sketch away of course i am roughly you know estimating you know what tech level it is what kind of civilization is building these ships or vehicles but overall, I'm just, uh, it's like relaxing to me right now, you know, okay. and to like economize the lines a little bit, you know, I don't have to worry about uh, tools, 3D models, fancy renderings, uh, delivering on time to the client. No, it's just me just exploring. And sometimes I post it, sometimes I don't post it. Uh, most of the time I post it, yeah. And yeah. Um, I admit that I like the likes, you know, I like when uh, people comment, let's be honest. I think that everyone likes it. Yeah. I try not to spend too much time on social media, but it's nice. It's nice that there is an audience and there are people interested in it. And that also is uh, very flattering and very nice to see that people are into that kind of stuff, you know? So, yeah. So on your Instagram account specifically, you've got a fairly large following. Has the job markets started coming from that side as well where clients are directly approaching you having looked at a particular sketch that you posted or a particular image of that sort not a single one. Oh, that's interesting okay yeah no i never had a client that said hey i saw your work on instagram or i know you from instagram and what what, what i get is from uh Hey, I saw your work on Instagram and we can really help to increase your following. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is the number one email that I get. But no, uh, potential clients uh, is, uh, is through ArtStation most of the time. Yeah? I see. Okay. ArtStation or uh, friends from the industry. Um, yeah. 
Well, I got the and and well, once in a blue moon through LinkedIn, but I really don't. Uh, I don't maintain my LinkedIn account either. <laughs> um, but with Disney, I had this one nice gig uh, several years ago, and that was through LinkedIn. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So that's interesting because I've heard of some people who got quite a few opportunities through growing their Instagram account, but it's interesting that you have not got at all. So I guess it also depends on the kind of work, maybe. It's something to think maybe about. yes you're right yeah maybe it depends on the kinds of work maybe uh, well my works are definitely not for like private people you know like maybe private people are in look for you know like a beautiful landscape painting or a portrait painting you know yeah but i don't think uh, it seems that companies that are looking to uh, make a video game <laughs> with environments and uh, and spaceships I, I it seems they're not roaming the instagram uh, sphere yeah. i think they go to art station it's much more filtered because on instagram you have everything right mm -hmm. um and on art station it is streamlined to only art so that is where the most gigs come through awesome so i had one last question about the school specifically you guys recently announced a scholarship for i think two or three students to get into the school so do you yeah. mind sharing a bit more insights about the scholarship <clears throat> and why you decided to go for that this year um well there are main two reasons the first reasons the first reason why i wanted to do it is uh, something i mentioned earlier is to really uh, help people and give back you know like the give people the opportunity to to learn with us you know mm -hmm. um because of course we will never become a, a school that teaches people for free no matter how much we like it because well we spend time on it we also have our own expenses to run the school uh, and of course it is in the end the business so that's an honest thing so in the end um it needs to make some kind of profit um like every other business however the the reason why this business was set up is not to make money but to make uh, uh, concept artists uh, to make potential concept artists concept artists right because if it was all about money then we would just stick to our client works and just go with that but this gives us satisfaction like i said like the, the just a simple message from someone that messages uh, Darek or me when they say hey it really changed my life or with focal point my whole journey started and now i'm working at guerrilla games for example mm -hmm. that is to me, that is the best thing that you can hear. Like that is like, it's like one of your main missions. So like, how, how, do, do things even get better than that? You know, because uh, to me, you know, uh, materialistic happiness is is limited. You know, because that's how humans work. You get a nice car, then you want the better nice car next to it, and then you get that, and you keep on wanting more and more. But when you have the gratitude and you know that you are able to help people and you also sometimes receive uh, help from from these students later on, it's it's an it's an amazing, amazing thing. And the scholarship is just expanding on it It's an initiative and the knowledge that a lot of people don't have the funds to join our school. Mm -hmm. But if they really want it, if they really want it and they have the potential then they will win the scholarship and then they come join and learn with us. That's awesome. Right? So that is why we do it. And of course, the second reason, I'm being honest, is that it will also give a nice boost to the, uh, to the school itself, right? 
So if we care for the students, then uh, then we re will receive the care back. It is like a cycle, right? Uh, obviously, the scholarship uh, will echo here and there, and that will make uh, the school more known, meaning that we will have more funds. And with more funds, we can again help the students more and more with every term, right? So it is. Um, those are the two main reasons. Yeah. Awesome. And the third reason is the third reason is just it is fun to come up with design briefs. You know, I had mm -hmm. a lot of fun also just writing the background story. Darek had a lot of fun adjusting the new logos of the it's just it's just fun to do it as well, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I guess it just gives that much more incentive to people who really want to get into the school. So it's a great opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, so now they don't have excuses, right? Because <laughs> now we have hybrid classes. Yeah. And you can potentially join for free if you if you if you really really want it and of course if you have the potential and of course, you know, uh, a some kind of predisposition, then we really feel like we should give um, a chance to people like that. You know, they they basically then don't pay with money; they pay with their own blood, sweat, and tears. You know, because in the end, it's a hard assignment. It is a lot to do. It is a grounded assignment, but there is a lot to do. We really want to see, you know, a mixture of of approaching that in a grounded way. You know, like you see concept art from Assassin's Creed, mm -hmm. uh, etc but then still have that 20% of uniqueness. And that can be both in the shape of the design. It can be in the layout of the environments, um, how the uh, ships are structured. Um, yeah, we are really, really eager to see what uh, people will uh, come up with. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, so we've been going for like more than one and a half hours at this point. So I don't want to take up too much of your time because I know you're busy. So it's fine. It's uh, fine. You must be busy too. So, yeah, I mean, it's just been nonstop for me today. Finished up work, grabbed some dinner Oof. and then jumped on the call. So, yeah, yeah you need some rest too. <laughs> you need some rest too. I have a long journey in front of me because I'm going uh, from Gdansk to Warsaw. So that's like a four hour drive. Oh, that's really uh, So, yeah. Yeah. So I'll just leave you with one last question that I like to end the podcast with. Um, of course. Do, are you somebody who's planning the next 10 to 15 years of your life or are you more looking at it on a yearly basis or a monthly basis, the way you want to shape and evolve your life? You know, I might be dead tomorrow. So, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, 10, 15 years, a little bit more like three to five years. Okay. Yeah. Always trying to, I think, I think that's a humble three, five years. So you don't become too too arrogant, like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm going to live for the next 15, 20 years. <laughs> and this is what I'm going to achieve. Although that might be smart, you know, I don't know. Um, I guess I'm a mixed bag of, uh, I'm, I'm just working towards what I love, developing uh, what, I, what I love to do. And uh, of course, planning is necessary when uh, you run your own thing. Um, but I don't, uh, I think I don't exaggerate on it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, it's a mixture of go with the flow, definitely staying disciplined, definitely staying focused, staying committed. Uh, you know, don't fuck around and waste your life. Um, or do, you know, whatever makes you feel better in the end, right? But I feel really like a useless bag of potatoes when I don't do anything uh, and just sit around. And the last time that happened is... Uh, 
I don't know, like three years ago when I had the flu, you know, I really couldn't do anything. I really felt bad. Other than that, I uh, I always have to be at work. And that maybe brings them to, uh, to the final point. And then, because I feel like I'm talking too much, so I'll finally let you go. Uh, just <laughs> no, a message for, no, for everyone. Just a message for, yeah, just a message for everyone. Yeah, just stay healthy, like really stay healthy. Um, have a good diet, eat healthy, exercise, really. That will just um, increase your health, increase your productivity. You will be happier as a person. You will... Um, you will you will overall feel better what can i say it's it's maybe a cliche thing we hear it maybe often but maybe not often enough because still a lot of people are uh, overweight depressed and really uh, the human body evolved over millions of years to be like we are made to move all the time and that uh, that is what makes us happy really it's like so that that i think is uh, is a is a nice point to end with Absolutely. Be healthy, you know, and yeah. work towards that. Yeah. That's a great way to end the conversation. Dude, yeah. thank you so much. This was an amazing conversation. Really, really. No, Siddhartha, great. thank you. Really, really, thank you for giving me the opportunity to do like a nice free commercial for the school. Really, <laughs> like, thank you for the many questions about the school, but also thank you for the many questions about uh, about my life. It has been uh, amazing talking to you, man. Absolutely, man. So I'm uh, looking forward to what you come up with next and hope to stay in touch with you. I might invite you over uh, to our podcast as well because I have questions for you as well. Absolutely. That'll be fun. Yeah. All right. Take care. Take care. Thank you. Bye.